It's season 10 of Focus on Women. We continue to elevate and empower female identifying professionals in the commercial photography industry. We're so excited to have you with us on this journey and we hope that you have enjoyed the stories we have shared so far. We're closing in on our 100th episode where Tracy and I will look back over our two year journey to get to this point. If you're interested in being interviewed for this podcast, please drop us a note. Go to focusonwomen.org slash contact and let us know a little bit about you so we can get you on the schedule. I am so excited for you to meet this next guest. She is a powerhouse calling in from Singapore And we met at Food Blog School on Clubhouse because we were talking about podcasts and we have a shared love over podcasts. Her work is amazing and beautiful and dynamic and full of color and texture. She has a background in architecture and healthcare. And we're going to find out how she turned that into her passion for food styling and photography. I'm so excited to have you here, DJ. Please tell folks where you're at, where they can find you, and uh, then we'll dive into your backstory. Hi, Shelly. Thanks so much for having me on this podcast. It's such a pleasure. And it's also very nerve-wracking because for a change, I'm on the other side of the table. (laughs) Usually I'm the host for my podcast and today I'm being like, we'll roast it. I don't know. (laughs) We'll see. Well, thanks so much for having me. My name is Dhyutama. I'm based in Singapore. I'm a food stylist, food photographer, and the first South Asian woman to have a food photography podcast. So that's exciting. (laughs) And um, I'm on Instagram at Dhyutama underscore my food lens. I'm on Facebook at my food lens and my podcast is called my food lens. So super easy to find me. <laughs> Pretty much. If you look up my food lens, you're going to find her. All right. <laughs> so we're going to take a little trip back down memory lane. When you were a little kid, And, you know, they always ask little kids, what do you think you're going to be when you grow up? Or what do you want to be when you grow up? And were you like, I want to be a photographer? Or were you like, I want to play with Legos and build buildings? What, What was it that you wanted to be when you were a kid? So you will not believe what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a veterinary doctor. (laughs) I wanted to treat animals, pigs, cows, buffaloes, rats, everything. It was so funny how my life has taken a whole 360 degrees. So I grew up in a very fun household. Like my dad was a neurologist. He's a neurologist. And my mom's a history and English teacher. And I had a really fun childhood. I'm very grateful for that. And I think a lot of my food photos, they embed those memories. And I talk a lot about that even on my social media. I'm literally a child. I'm still that child living in my childhood. (laughs) So my dad being, you know, coming from a medical background and my mom came from a teaching background, I had a very good balance of dad was all about academics and grades and mom was all about creativity and art. And so there was a good balance of, you know, just being an all-rounder all the time at home. My dad was super busy. Being a doctor, he was super busy, but photography was his hobby. And he used to love nature photography. He actually was a judge for many photography contests in town, and he used to participate in them. And I, for me, I 
really admired his skill, but there was at no level that I ever thought, ooh, I'm going to be a photographer. It was not even on the radar ever. <laughs> so my, ma- my mom, on the other hand, because she was an English teacher, she was, she was a fabulous writer. And I think that always struck a chord with me. And I used to do a ton of creative writing as a child. I, w- I sucked at visuals. I sucked at, you know, just being creative at creating anything visually appealing. But if you give me a pen and paper, I could write something. I used to write poems and essays and I used to win prizes. So that was really my jam. And then I had this immense love for animals. So I always thought I would be a veterinary doctor, that one day I would have this purpose in life of treating goats and pigs. And, you know, that's what I would do. And when the time came to take that decision, my dad sat me down. First of all, he was utterly disappointed that I did not want to be a neurologist and take over his practice. So he had like a hmm, deep sigh. And then he was like, do you know what vets need to do? Do you understand what it takes to be a veterinary doctor? Do you really understand what it would take? And I was like, oh, goodness, I did not think of that. And, you know, so there was a lot of doubt that came in. And at that time, a lot of my friends were taking architecture. And I was like, huh, that's a good that sounds pretty good. It's a good balance, again, of science and creativity, something that I kind of grew up with. Let's just go with architecture. Like no thought, no inclination, no dream. I just went for architecture because I had friends in architecture. And I guess when you're at 17 years, a lot of folks are like that. You know, I I, I didn't live a dream and I didn't pursue that dream when I was 17. I was not that child. And even in architecture, I was not the most visually creative. My strength was actually being able to break down and process things. And I I worked hard, but did I love architecture? No, no, not really. (laughs) What I loved was healthcare architecture. So there was a point in our five years of undergrad where I got a chance to design a hospital. And because seeing dad, I literally used to walk in ICUs with my dad as a child. I used to take my evening trip would be to the cancer center. You know, that's, that's my lovely childhood. So that obviously influenced me and healthcare architecture, which is very difficult for architects actually to design operating theaters, to design PACUs and CCUs. It just came very naturally to me and I loved it. And that's where I took off my architecture career. So I did my undergrad, I started working in Delhi and I chose healthcare as my niche. I designed hospitals in India, and then I went off to Texas A&M, which had the best program in healthcare architecture. So I got a master's degree in architecture, but I got a specialization in healthcare. So I was like, I was rolling in healthcare. I designed hospitals in the US, then I got married, moved to Singapore, and I designed hospitals in Singapore. I was always forever seeing people in scrubs. I made sure people wash their hands down up to the elbow. Like I was that person. That's how I lived. You know, my husband was always like, did you wash your hands properly? Kind of a person. Anyway, so yeah. So architecture for me was all about healthcare. And just because I could break down, I could process. And I was influenced by my father. I think that healthcare really picked up for me. But The other thing that picked up for me as a child was cooking and my love for food. And that came from my mother. She was incredible. Like, even though we lived in an era where we were not exposed to a lot of global cuisines, international cuisines, my mom, one day I walked into the kitchen and my mom, I was like, mom, what's this? 
oh, these are crepes. Uh, this is the street food of France. I said, okay. <laughs> and so as a six-year-old, I was eating crepes, which I don't think was the real crepe. But hey, I knew the word crepe. And one day we had a party and she's like, I'm making risotto. And it was like a really soggy pulao with tomatoes. But I learned the word risotto. So, you know, so she brought and all this like jokes apart. She's a phenomenal cook. Like my love for food comes from her. And she exposed us to cookbooks. She exposed us to good imagery of photos. It was the books that she bought and she invested in. She had a whole library of cookbooks that I absolutely loved reading in the afternoon. So as a seven-year-old, that's what I would do as my time passed when I was not walking the ICUs. Yeah, but uh, that's the love that I got from my parents, which is why I am so grateful for the childhood that I had. And when I was in Singapore, forward, fast forward, I'm back in Singapore now. I'd worked here for six, seven years. I designed two big hospitals and I was, I really loved healthcare architecture. What I did not love was how overworked I was, how stressed I was. And uh, the momentum here of work is extremely fast paced. Like you have got to keep up. And I think what was a little bit demotivating for me was that I was a lot into research and writing. I was the research director for my firm and I was not getting, I was not being able to tap into my full potential of doing that, bringing that good quality research to my work. And I was, it was just day in and day out, just churning out work. And that was just sucking out the joy that I had for healthcare. So I think at the end of around 2016, I was working with an American firm an American healthcare uh, architecture firm, and they decided to close shop in Singapore. So we all decided to leave because we had no choice. <laughs> and then even before they declared that they were shutting down, because I was a bit like not finding joy in my work, I had all these like random thoughts that were constantly like coming to me. And it was this contemplation of, can I do something else in life? Is there something else out there for me? And even though I sat on my table, I was drafting, I was designing hospitals, I was sitting and doing meetings with staff and patients. There was this thought in my mind that what if I can take my healthcare experience and cross-pollinate with another industry, maybe I can bring healthcare design to a company like Accenture that creates systems. And I can bring that perspective to them. So I was like, I was really thinking in uh, on a completely different tangent. And there were all these thoughts that were brewing. And then the firm comes and says, boss, work shutting down. So I was like, okay, toodles. And I just decided to take a break from architecture. I just decided that I'm just gonna slow down. I'm gonna take the break that I need. I wanna give it some thought. And that's when my mom's influence of cooking and all of that came alive because I had missed that. I had missed cooking. I'd missed the things that I enjoyed in so many years in architecture. It was just very stressful. So I started cooking and I started taking a lot of food photos, which I shared with the WhatsApp group of my family. That was my platform. <laughs> so you had a WhatsApp I, blog, basically. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so my sister, one day she's like, Hey, do you know that something called Instagram exists? I said, what, what, what is Instagram? As an architect, I was off social media. I maybe went on Facebook once a week, once in two weeks. And that was it. I was completely closed off from the world of social media, which is why I was very late to the party. But she told me about Instagram. I started taking some photos from my phone and I just started posting them and people are like, Hey, that's nice. Ooh, I love it. Ooh, I'm ruling. You know, so people had all these comments and I was like, okay, okay. That, 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 you know, it sounded really good. And suddenly you have all these strangers who are looking at your food photos. So I kept posting and then someone approached me to do a photo shoot for them. They wanted me to take pictures of their food. And I was like, boss, that photo that I posted sucked. It was really bad. Well, for me, and apparently that's not how the world sometimes takes our photos. So for them, it was great. And they wanted to hire me. And that's the tipping point. Like that was the place where I was like, okay, can this be something? Am I sitting on something that can be real? Is this a possibility? Like, what if we give it a chance? What if we take that leap of faith? What if it can turn into something big, you know? So I just had this thought and overnight I decided, let's just start a food photography business. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And I have to tell you that at that point, I had never held a DSLR in my hands. I had never taken a food photo from a DSLR. I had no clue how to compose a composition pretty much. And I just decided that, well, someone wants to hire me. Let me just start a food photography business. So it was insane. It was insane. And at that point, why it was even further insane was that I had a ton of job offers for me. And these were all the clients I had worked with during my architecture years in Singapore. They wanted to hire me. They were waiting. They had, I, and at that time I was making six figures in my architecture career. If I had taken up any of those jobs, I would have probably doubled my salary. And it was a big enough incentive. And what I did was go the other direction, uh, cut against the grain, <laughs> dive into uncharted waters. And it was all because I was looking for that joy that I was missing. And I, and this thought, it just kept troubling me somewhere. I had to, I had to address it. I felt like it was my responsibility to address this. That was an opportunity that was on my door. Like what if it worked? So I dived into uncharted waters. Uh, and I, I like to use this, even though it's not my original, but I was uneducated because I had no knowledge of using a DSLR. I was also unqualified because um, I had no business sense. No one in my family ever had a business. No one in my family's family's family ever had a business. And I was here like, yeah, let's start a photography business. So I was totally unqualified and I was unfunded. So I had no money. <laughs> I took this decision like literally very spontaneously. I had not saved for it. I had not thought that, okay, let me just have a little bit in for my gear or whatever I need to buy. It was whatever I had in the bank. I was like, let's just go boss, you know? So I was uneducated. I was unqualified. I was unfunded and I dived right in. But I think 
things just work out. And I think somewhere in my subconscious, I had my dad's photography and his vintage camera. Somewhere it was there uh, that kind of made me deviate towards photography, number one. And two, it was my mom's love for cooking and her uh, introduction uh, to food, you know, as we grew up that combined the two together for me, which was photography and food. And I think that's probably how my childhood shaped where I am today. It's been a very long, tiring journey, but I guess that's how I'll connect the dots. Yeah, it's really fascinating and interesting. I was over here on mute laughing um, and nodding a lot. And so what I find is that, you know, I think the key part was that joy that was missing and the break that came, right? You were kind of forced to take a break because the company was shutting down. And then you were like, well, I'm already kind of miserable and starting to search in my mind for the next big thing. So you were forced to take that pause, which I don't know if a lot of us get that opportunity to take that pause. So it's kind of a fortunate, an unfortunate thing for the company, but a fortunate thing for you that you got that opportunity. And so when did you actually, how long has it been now as you've been on this new entrepreneurial journey? So it's been, this is my fourth year, but in between I had a baby. (laughs) So technically it's been a lot shorter and my, my journey has been like, those four years have been literally against the grain the whole time. Uh, so one thing that I didn't mention earlier was that when I did decide to take up, you know, food to start a food photography business and I had all these job offers, I had to take a decision. It was a very big decision. Which way am I going to go? Am I going to go towards the lucrative offers or am I going to go towards something that might has a remote chance of turning into reality? And so I put myself on a timer. And I gave myself four months and I said, in these four months, I'm going to test it out. I'm going to see where I can be. And, and, and I told all my clients who were waiting for my answer, please give me four months. I'm going to come back to you in April and with either a yes or a no. And, and this was architecture, did, right? This was this architecture. Was architecture. This right. was architecture clients <laughs> who were like ready to hire me who had the job offers that I had on the table at that time. So I told them, please wait for me for four months and I'll come back. I didn't tell anybody what I was up to. I went and I signed up for a two hour workshop to learn how to use a camera on manual mode. I took my 10 year old camera, which was gifted to us by our friends on our wedding. I took a kit lens, which was so dirty that it just could not focus. I carried all of that. I took, oh, I took a bunch of artificial flowers as my props to test it out. And that was how I landed up. I showed up at that two-hour workshop. I did learn a bit. And then I just started practicing. A few months later, I went in and I took a workshop on artificial light because I knew the clients I was pursuing. Like that was at least a little bit clear in my mind that I wanted to shoot for restaurants. I wanted to do commercial work. And so I knew that artificial light, like in a place like Singapore, where it rains every single day, you have got to know how to use your artificial light. So I just, I went to a photographer in town and he taught me all of that. So this was at the four month mark. So at the four month mark, I had just about learned how to use a 50 mm lens. I had just about learned how to maybe set up my gear. It's not like I knew how to use it perfectly. 
And this was the time that I needed to get back to everybody who was waiting for me for an answer. And it, I had not even started like in my world. I'd not, what, there wasn't even a surface to scratch, like literally. So I pretty much gave it a thought and I did exactly what I did before. Went against the grain. I said, thank you so much for your offer. I've decided to continue <laughs> on my own journey. Uh, see you later. So, and then off I went and I was like, okay, I just need to try a little bit more. I just need to try a little harder. And I just started working very, very hard on my skills, on my photography technique. And within three months of that, I had two clients, uh, to, to my first two clients, out of which one of them was the largest retailer in Singapore. And I had my first commercial project. So wow. <laughs> it, was lit it was literally within eight months of deciding today I will start a food photography business that I was already doing commercial work. So it was, uh, it's been four years, but I think every step has been kind of a leap of faith and a lot of pushing hard. And I think it's the same for all of us. I think it's the same for all photographers and everybody has this kind of a push harder, go against the grain kind of an attitude if, if we want to make it work. So yeah, four years counting, learning every day. Hey everyone, this season's sponsor is Pedro and Jackie. If you haven't heard of this company, you need to know about it. Peter Denon is the bomb. He is an amazing photo consultant that should be added to your toolbox. Working with artists on website edits, printed portfolios, marketing strategy, promo development, estimating, pitch decks, and so much more. I am a huge fan, obviously, and I've been sending my artist his way to get prepared for the upcoming New York Boulevard portfolio reviews. Who doesn't need help slogging through all of your images, deciding which to feature and in what order? Or maybe you just need a fresh set of eyes on your website to help you bring it back to life. He's super fun, personable, encouraging, and well-seasoned in our industry. He loves what he does and he's invested in each of his clients' success. I can't say enough good things about him and I hope you guys will go check him out. Go to www.pedroandjackie.com to see the work. We are thrilled to have him as our sponsor, and he's offering our listeners a 15% discount on either a website edit or a printed portfolio. All you have to do is reference Pedro plus Jackie 15. You can put that either in the notes when you contact him through his contact page on the website, or if you're going to email him directly, just make sure you reference that to get the discount. The offer will last till the end of this season, which is May 19th, 2022. So when you decided like, I'm going all in, right? After four months, this seems to be working. I'm going all in on this idea. And basically I'm going to jump off the cliff and hope that my wings work. <laughs> How did you start telling people like, I am here, right? I am now available for this service. What was kind of your first go-to marketing, we'll call it? This was the toughest thing I had to do. And that's because I carried baggage. I carried architecture baggage. I think letting go of me being an architect was a thought that I struggled with a lot. I had sleepless nights. And I actually had a lot of trouble convincing my parents that I had made a switch. 
I, for them, I had spent 15 years as an architect and my dad related to me as a healthcare architect. Like that is the closest I got to being a doctor, right? So, <laughs> so for them, suddenly I'm like, oh, I'm going to pick up my camera and be a photographer. I think for that generation, it's a little bit hard to kind of see it as a serious profession. And especially when you have spent seven years studying for it. So it was a big deal. Even for me, financially, even for me as how the world knew me, uh, it was very hard to tell anybody that, oh, I'm a food photographer. So in the beginning, I would not tell anybody. I never told anybody I was a food photographer. If someone came to me, it was either they saw my work on Instagram or through word of mouth. And I still remember that if my friends would come and visit, I would be like, yeah, I'm an architect. But now I'm doing food photography. So I could just not let go of it. And it took a long time. And I realized that I'm not putting myself out in the universe. I'm not letting the universe know what I'm doing. I'm not, if I don't accept and embrace it, who else? No one else will. And so I still haven't given up that. And I still call myself that I'm an architect turned food stylist, food photographer. And that's because I realized one thing, and that was that I take a lot of my architecture into my photography. So my, uh, my take on compositions or colors or aesthetics or proportion or scale, everything comes from, I think, architecture and the way I see. And sometimes that's why my compositions are more artistic than more realistic. And that is because of the creativity that I bring from an architecture background. I also take how I manage clients or how I've dealt with the business side of things in architecture. I've taken that with me to my food photography. So <clears throat> I have to tell myself all of these things. I have to tell myself that I'm not giving it up. I've learned for 15 years and that's what's informing how I do my food photography. I'm doing it this way only because I spent 15 years as an architect. If I didn't, I would not be doing it this way. I would have been a, in a very different place. And that just gave me acceptance and it gave me the courage. It has taken courage to speak it out loud. So the first thing I did was um, the way I started talking to people was like, using a different set of words instead of saying I'm an architect I say I'm an architect turned food photographer and sometimes I do leave out the architect part for me marketing um, has been solely I've not done a very good job at it pretty much social media has been my marketing tool it's not like I hired anybody or I've just, I've just put out my photos and let them do the talking and I have a very interesting story for that I've also done crazy business pitches. I have pitched like heck. So that's something that I've done by myself for myself. And I think that's very important if you're running a business to reach out to people that you really want to work with. But when I say that I've, I've done, my marketing was my social media, I would say that we should not underestimate that because a lot of my clients have come through social media. And I remember that when I was still in the first year, I used to take a lot of photos and I used to practice a lot, a lot, like eight hours straight. I would be like jumping off the stool because God knows I'm five feet tall. So I'll be up on the stool, you know, adjusting my tripod and uh, just working, working day in and out on just honing my skills that that was very important to me. And I was putting out all this work on social media. There is a Facebook group in Singapore 
which posts about job, like videography and photography uh, jobs. And I'm on that group, but it's not like I check it regularly. So one of my friends, she sent me a WhatsApp message and she's like, hey, there's a, someone's looking for a food photographer. Do you think you'd be interested? And I was like, all right, fine. Got off my stool. <laughs> <laughs> went, sent a link to my portfolio and said, hello, I'm an architect and food stylist, food photographer. Um, here's my portfolio if you'd like to take a look. And that's it. I left it at that. And I was like, fine, if I get the job, I get the job. We'll see. In 30 seconds of my sending that message, my Facebook messenger beeped. And it was the lady who had posted on that group. And she's like, oh, Hi. I'm so glad we found you. And I was like, mm, maybe she's just happy to be connected. So I was like equally social. And I was like, yeah, so glad to have found you too. And uh, then we set up a meeting. She's like, our director would love to meet you. And we set up a meeting. Can you meet us at blah, 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 blah time at their restaurant? Now, they are a very big chain in Singapore. They are not just in Singapore, they are in Japan, Indonesia, Hong Kong, like in Southeast Asia, they are huge. And when I learned who they were, I was sweating. So I had to walk into that meeting. It was very, it was about two and a half years ago. So I was really at the beginning, beginning. And I walk into this meeting with this huge brand and I see these two ladies walk in. One is the director and one of them was the lady who contacted me. And they had like the biggest smiles on their face while I was like, I had a tissue, I was wiping off sweat from my forehead. And then this lady, she says, so glad, we're so glad to have finally found you. And I was like, okay, I just have to ask, like they could not be this happy to have connected with me. So I was like, I'm sorry, what do you mean by you found me? And she said, well, when they were looking for a food photographer, they went on Google and they scoured the internet and they found this photo of mine uh but they didn't know who the photographer was i was i was i'm i was a nobody right there was a photo floating on the internet they loved the photo and they said that's it we need to find this photographer and i had no seo my website was probably on page 20 of google they didn't know who I was. They didn't know my name. They didn't know my website name. They just saw a photo and they decided she or he is going to be the photographer. So they, they literally scoured the internet trying to look for me. They didn't find me. And so as a last resort, they went and they posted publicly that we are looking for a food photographer, hoping that I would reply. And I did. And they went on my portfolio and they saw that image and they were like, that's it. <laughs> Like literally it, that interview was so smooth. I've been working with them for like two and a half years now, and there's no looking back. They've built so many franchises and brands and their business has grown so much more. And I'm still their official photographer. I'm still the person whose photo they found randomly floating on the internet and we connected. So I would say that marketing through social media has been a, quite powerful for me. And even though I feel like I've lacked on some of the other places that I could market myself better, this, this is, this has been pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. You were like the needle in the haystack kind of scenario there, <laughs> uh, right? Like they, it was like they had the haystack and they had to find the needle that's kind of a crazy story. I love it though. It, is. it goes to show that you never know where people are going to see your work or find your work or find you. Exactly. 
And, and I love that, you know, the reverse is that you, they found you kind of through this kind of back end way of finding you, but let's flip that around to where you said you've been doing these crazy pitches where you're reaching out, which is actually one of the best ways to market yourself, right? Is direct client. And so what, what did you take from being an architect when you put these pitches together and send them out? Because it's probably a little less scary than if you've never done it before, right? So I'd love to hear kind of your first, like one of your first stories of putting a pitch together and sending it out to somebody you really wanted to work with. So the first time I put a pitch together, it was literally like a copy paste go, <laughs> you know, hello, my name is so and so I am a photographer. And it was just a really dry pitch and no surprise, there was no reply. And it's so interesting because this is my podcast episode this week. I'm talking all about creating a business pitch and I'm sure this recording will go out a little later, but I'm talking about the pivoting point where I completely changed the way I was pitching. And that was thanks to a professor in my university and something he taught me. But the crux was that when I was doing a simple copy paste pitch, uh, it wasn't working. And I had to put myself like I had to step, take a step back. And when you ask that, how did architecture, uh, how did architecture influence how I pitch myself? I think, first of all, it had to be a professional voice. It had to be someone who came from a place of understanding that customer experience is number one. So how do I deliver that good customer experience? And that is visually how do i make my pitch visually attractive because that's the first thing somebody sees so i had a template and how i started like drafting my pitches and then the second thing was that it had to be personal it could not be a generic or random copy paste for a, a brand because that's how i used to work with clients the projects that i did was so specific that a particular client we were designing buildings for that particular group of audience then how could i not bring that to my pitch to the brand i had to make it personal and about them i'm here to offer a service to your brand i can create what you need so this pitch is about you not me and that's what changed so the first thing was definitely taking graphics and the visual part of it and the second one was the tone of how how I wrote, keeping it professional and keeping it about them and what I brought to the table for them. And this is another crazy story, but I pitched to one of the leading hospitality brands in the world. And I wrote to them that I've been to their restaurants and their hotel, and I absolutely love, it is my favorite pizza place in town. Uh, so I was not making it up. It has to be genuine. That is another thing. So I I wrote to them and I said, I love those pizzas. Those sourdough pizzas are like crazy. And the tartufata is like to die for. So, <laughs> so I wrote that pitch and it really came from the heart. It was, of course, very professionally put together. And I think that week I was in the taxi and my phone rang. And I still remember the phone call. I was belted up in a taxi. I pick up my phone and this lady's like, I'm the marketing director of so-and-so hotel and we got your email and looks like you've already been to our restaurants and you're familiar with our brand. We took a look at your portfolio. We love your work. We were wondering if you have time for a coffee with us. And I was like, what? Like that's, 
I don't care if I get the job or not. My foot is in the door. And they called me. So I'm belted. I can't dance. I also cannot shout on the phone. But you can imagine, I was ecstatic. And it was that pitch. It was the way I pitched and what I wrote. And there was something that struck a chord with them. And it was a huge brand. Like, it is something that I still cherish on my portfolio. And had COVID not happened, we would still be working together. So uh, pitching, I think architecture has definitely taught me a lot about pitching, but also just being personal and just being very genuine. I think those are the two key things that I bring to the pitches that I write. Uh, And I think you brought up a really good point, which is you got to be personal and you got to be genuine, but you also have to know the client, right? You have to make it about them. Like you said, it's, it's really about how are you going to help them with their quote unquote problem, right? What is the solution you're bringing to their problem and really dialing it in for like, what is it that you're going to do and not making it kind of this copy paste generic? Exactly. Absolutely. Wow. So much learning in such a short period of time and such, I mean, I love the fact that you've been able to kind of reflect on the, the learning along the way and where, you know, the journey has taken you. And so I'm really curious about what do you see coming? I mean, we are kind of in a new era. We're in the COVID era. And (laughs) so what do you see coming or what are you excited about? I mean, I know that you launched your podcast right? Where you can now start to give some of this, some of this information and knowledge and insight back. And so obviously I, I, I see the podcast running for a while, but on top of the podcast, what else is kind of the next thing for you? So the podcast was definitely a very big leap of faith for me. It was something I had not planned for as always. It was not something that I dreamt of. I I, I was sitting on my desk one day and I told my husband, I want to start a podcast. And he said, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? I said, I don't know. He said, when are you going to do it? I said, I don't know. He said, are you, do you think you can do it? I said, I don't know. And everything was an, I don't know. And I did it. There were a lot of times where I gave up and I, you know, I've heard that people can launch a podcast in six weeks. It took me 10 months. I had a one-year-old at the time when I decided, and I really struggled. There were weeks in which I did absolutely no work, and it went past, and I was like, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to launch this? So my podcast has actually moved from a casual remark to a dream, to a struggle, to a reality, and that's really been my journey of my podcast. And if you ask me today, I am so... I'm committed to my podcast. I relate to it. And I feel like while photography is visual for me, podcast is the other, like the the audio sensory side where I can bring that visual together. And I think the two are completing me right now. And like everything else that I've done, I've not planned. And I've I've just taken leaps of faith and everything that struck me, I've just taken the next step and next step and next step. I cannot work on a five-year plan. I just can't do it. If I had worked on it, I would not be here. I would be in my architecture job. That's, that's That would have been the plan, right? So for me to say what I'm looking forward to, I think I'm really looking forward to taking the podcast to another level and not to, and not to toot my own horn, but I... 
it took me, it took someone else to tell me that I am the first South Asian woman to have a podcast in food photography. I didn't even realize it, that I was that person. So for me, I'm, I just do things from the heart and uh, I want to take this, photo, uh, this podcast literally to a place where I can serve the audience. I can serve people and I can tell I can bring things to the table that people are looking for. There were things that I bumped my head against when I was starting my career. I've moved in, I've moved literally in waves, like up and down in my career because of the way I took decisions. And I just want to make it easy for everybody. Like cut to the chase. Here's what you need. Here's what I did. This was wrong. This was right. Let's do this. And if it works for them. So for me, the podcast is really the most thrilling thing for me right now. That's where I'm finding myself. I do, however, want to... Social media has honestly created this pressure. <laughs> it's changed everything about the way we work. And you talked about marketing, and I said social media is the way I market myself. So for me, changing my social media game has kind of become a mandatory. Like, I just have to do it because that's what we are all being pushed to do. So I just can't keep continuing on my way. So I'll, I'll be on a path of learning how to do reels, how to do videos, how to do things differently than I've been doing. And just if something comes my way and it seems like a wild idea, I will take it up. <laughs> I see that as being a big theme for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, maybe video ends up being something that you end up liking and might be a new skill that you dive into, and then you can talk about it all on your podcast. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so for those that are, you know, maybe they're in a career that is not fulfilling for them, and they're looking for that next thing, uh, what kind of advice would you give them? So honestly, so here's something that I feel like I wish I had thought like this. I wish I had thought like this in the beginning. The thing is that we all grew up with a certain mindset, right? Especially in the Asian culture, uh, we are brought up with the thought that you choose a path for yourself and you carry on on that path and you make it big on that path. You cannot change your mind. You cannot go from A to B to C because hello, then how will you ever do well in life, right? So the fact that you switching from one thing to the other is uh, not advisable. I think that was a mindset that I kept. For me, every time that I was not finding joy in architecture, I constantly contemplated being somewhere in architecture and doing something with architecture, for me, completely moving away was never an idea that I thought that I could even consider. It was not even there to consider. So one thing that I would advise to somebody is that if there is something that makes you get out of bed every morning with a fire in your belly to make a difference, it makes you excited and thrilled about that thing, it is your calling. It is your calling and you just have to address it. Even if you don't make something big out of it, give it a chance, give it a try. It might become something. Don't be scared of taking a leap of faith. If we want to do something in life, we have to take a leap of faith. And you cannot start with, oh, what if I fail? You've got to start with, what if I make it? You know, that's got to be your starting point. So 
Don't be afraid of answering your calling. Don't be afraid of making changes. Don't be afraid of adapting. Don't be afraid of taking leap of faith. And don't be afraid of giving things a chance because you never know where life might take you. Well, if you're not like awake and all fired <laughs> up after that answer, I don't know what would do it. That's amazing, right? I think we all let fear kind of trickle in and kind of downplay what we're excited about. And I love that it's just like, you, you got to give it a chance. You got to give it a try. You got to, you know, show up for it and let it kind of breathe and grow and see what it's going to turn into. So amazing. And then my last little piece, you know, as someone who started with phone photography and then moved into camera, for those that are starting out and are, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what's best for them and what to do, and maybe they're a little scared of the equipment too, what kind of pieces of advice you have on that front? So I'm a huge believer in starting small and taking baby steps. I'm all about doing one little thing at a time. So start, so that's what where I started. I started with one gear, and that was just buying a new lens and learning how to shoot on manual mode. So once you get a hang of, because as photographers, we have so much to think about. We have composition, we are creating something from scratch. We have to think about light. We have to think about the food that's decaying. We are thinking about everything. So a good starting point is to pick one thing that you want to work on. And so I would start with just knowing your camera really in and out, knowing the functions, what it can do for you. Because once you know your gear, start with a camera, whatever camera you have on hand, take a piece of Apple, put it in natural light and take a picture. So that's where you start. It's as simple. And then add another layer of complexity, cut that Apple the next time and add a little bit to your composition. In the next go, add another Apple. In the next one, add a speed light to it. In the next one, take away the diffuser, get harsh light from artificial light. So you just keep adding layers and layers of complexity, but only once you have started with the foundation. If your foundation is strong, you can anything, uh, you know, take it on any other level that you need to be. So my starting point would definitely be get to know your camera, buy the most basic lens, get into natural light, buy a piece of Apple, put it on a white paper, take a shot. I love that. I love the the really the, the key piece in there. If you guys missed it, is the apple. Get the apple. Um, <laughs> that was brilliant. Baby steps. Learn one little thing at a time. Get really comfortable with that one thing. Make it repeatable, and then move on to the next thing. Such great advice. Remind everybody where they can find you online. All right. So. I'm on Instagram at Dutima underscore my food lens, where I share food photos and a lot of my childhood stories and a lot of long captions, if you like that. I'm also on Facebook at my food lens, and you can listen to my food photography podcast uh, at my food lens on Spotify, Stitcher. Apple Podcasts. I do also have a free photography guide if you're looking to streamline your photography workflow and process. Uh, so that's called the 10-step photo shoot if you're interested in that. So I have that free resource as well. Fantastic. And we will have all of those links in the show notes. So you don't have to remember where to go. You could just see the show notes and click on through to there. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing these amazing stories. I love hearing how your dad influenced you and how your mom influences you and how they continue to influence you. And hopefully they now understand 
four years in that they're like, okay, she's a photographer who used to be an architect. (laughs) And um, you can subscribe to Focus on Women. We drop an episode every Thursday and we are a membership-based community. So if you're looking for a community of really amazing uh, commercial photography women, then come check out focusonwomen.org. Join the membership. We're going to have lots of exciting stuff coming out. And um, I thank you for being here. And as Tracy Tarek, our founder would say, stay healthy and keep your creative juices flowing.